Yankees ever done this? Yes, it is. Hallelujah. First Corinthians, I believe it's 4.10. It might be 4.15. It's in chapter 4. It says that though you have 10,000 teachers, you have few fathers. And the Lord dropped that on me several months ago, and I've been praying about why. And I was praying about an accident. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? There's some wicked feedback in here. I don't know if y'all want to fool with that. Um, it's probably that lapel mic, if we're going to be honest. But um, when I asked the Lord what that meant, he said, well, fathers, the scripts are, the scripture says that few, so many instructors are few fathers. Instructors give lectures. Fathers have conversations. And I could get up here and preach on Romans 8, and he can get up here and preach on Romans 8, and Nick can get up here and preach on Romans 8. And me can get up here and preach on Romans 8. And Taylor can preach on Romans 8. And it's all going to be good preaching. But some of the things we're going to talk about this morning, there's only one person who can have those conversations, and that's him. Because there's something about a life that's lived faithful to the Lord for decades that needs to be recognized and just explored. And so I'm going to interview him this morning. And we're going to have some fun, and he's going to minister. And when we met about this, I told him, I said, just imagine you're preaching like four or five different sermons in the same sermon. <laughs> and that's how we're going to go with it. But this is technically called Conversations with Legacy, and this won't be the first time, last time I do this. But um, y'all know him, so I don't need to introduce him. But I would like him to just share some of his information with us. You know, how 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 young is he and how many kids does he have grandkids does he have how long has he been married all the the good information what you got go ahead brought my cheat sheet you brought your cheat sheet yes. go ahead well i'm 78 years old i was had a birthday uh last friday and uh i've been serving the lord 50 years in fact it's 50 years this past october i've been in the ministry 42 years i've been married 62 years and I have four children, 17 grandchildren, 19 great-grandchildren, and I got number 20 coming in February. And I have one great-grandchild that's living in Germany right now. So, Well, that's your great-great, right? Yeah, great-great. Great-great. So we've heard a lot of – we've all heard you preach many times, but – I don't know if a lot of people know where you grew up and how you grew up and what that was like. And we got a, we got a, we got a picture, y'all. I got a picture of him as a toddler. And before you put it up, don't put it up just yet. Y'all got it? This thing looks like, y'all ever seen that movie, uh, <laughs> this thing, like this picture. Baby Geniuses. You ever seen that movie? It came out in the 90s, right? Baby Geniuses. Well, if Baby Geniuses had a mob boss character... This is who it would have been. Can y'all put that picture up? <laughs> what y'all probably can't tell is there's got to be a pistol right behind his hand. <laughs> right there, there's got to be one, I'm telling you. But tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up and all that kind of stuff. Well, as you know, I'm an Italian, and uh, I grew up in an Italian family. All my grandparents came from Italy. 
All my first cousins were all Italians. Was Italians. If I was related to them, they were Italians. And uh, they were all over the place. And uh, I grew up in a neighborhood, and that's the neighborhood that I was born in and grew up in. It was on Sixth and Drives, right off of St. Charles Avenue. Actually, it was a black neighborhood. Uh, my parents owned that grocery store right there, and it was in a black neighborhood. All my friends were black. I was the only white guy there besides my brother and uh, uh, my parents, and that's how I grew up. And uh, I attended Catholic school all my life, all the way up to eighth grade. If you was a Catholic, you, you usually was Italians that was going there. So uh, that's how I grew up. Grew up in that neighborhood till I was nine years old. And uh, we moved out of there, and uh, my daddy inherited a, a house off of Canal Street. That's when I got out of the black neighborhood, and I was around some white people. <laughs> um, being under you for as long as I have been, I've heard you mention your relationship with your dad a bunch. Um, especially on the encounter, um, and if you would just share a little bit about what it was like growing up there, what he was like, and kind of what what you experienced. Well, uh, my daddy uh, was an alcoholic, and uh, all about my life, there was always whiskey in the house, and uh, he was an alcoholic. He drank a lot, and the sad part about it, he was a mean drunk. And every time he was drunk, there was havoc in my household. Uh, and uh, he argued with everybody. Everybody couldn't sit right, spit right. Uh, it got so bad that uh, I didn't know God at the time. I was in, in Catholicism. I didn't know God. I knew there was a God. And I found myself praying that he would die, that he would just die, and we would have some peace in our family because uh, he caused so much. I mean, it was just it was something unbearable, and uh, he did die. He died. He died when I was 21. And I didn't want him to die because the last two years of his life, he quit drinking. And I finally knew who my daddy was. He wasn't a bad guy. And he, uh, you know, he took interest in my occupation. I was a cosmetologist. And when he was dying, I really didn't want because I wanted the more fathering. <laughs> but... Uh, that's what happened. Uh, we can come back to that in a minute. Um, I think what's what's so amazing is to to sit here and we all know him now. When I first met him, his his hair was the color of his shirt, <laughs> but. Um, that's what he did. 
I'm sure of the list of people that did that to you. I'm not at the top. I'm just going to make sure that's well known. But anyway, um, what I think is amazing about it is to see him and to know him as we know him. But yet to hear that that's what he came up in. Because I don't know about you, but I mean, growing up in church like I did, even as a church kid, when I would see these men and women of God come to the church, I would see them from a distance and be like, they got to live one doorstep out of heaven. You know, one address down, they just spent all day with Jesus. And I never had any real understanding of what they had gone through. And I think it's so important that we understand who people like he insisted on are. Because if God can take him from that, and what we're going to get into in a minute, to being who he is today, what's, what's your excuse for not letting God do that with you? You see what I'm saying? And so we're going to get to probably what might be his favorite part of the story is when did you meet this lovely redhead here on the front row? Well, wait till y'all see this picture. Just wait. (laughs) Don't put it up yet, but wait till y'all see this one. (laughs) I met her. uh, We were barely 14 years old, and uh, we lived in the Carrollton area. And uh, me and my friend was on the way home. And he told me, he said, they got some girls on the porch. I want you, let's go down there and see them. (laughs) I said, no. I said, it's late. I said, I want to go home, you know. And he he convinced me to go. And uh, there on that porch was Sister Dawn. And I guess it was love at first sight, and uh, relationship began. We were barely 14 years old, and uh, we got married at 15 because uh, we had a child on the way. I don't recommend our young people doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't preach it. Don't teach it. This is our story, okay? And... uh, but that was it. We were married, and uh, we were—we didn't know God. And uh, this life is not this world that we live in is not conducive to married life. If you're not a Christian, it's going to eat you alive. It's going to—it's—it's going to tear you apart. So, we were not Christians for the first twelve years of our marriage. So, before I comment. Is it just me, or does that look so much like Joseph back there? (laughs) Like, when that picture came in the email, I went, what in the world? Anyway, um, so you said first 12 years, you were married, but you weren't a Christian. No, we were worldly as all get out. I was a hairdresser. Uh, I became a hairdresser at 18. Dealt with women all my life, and... uh, it was a worldly uh, profession, uh, and uh, I indulged in that world. And uh, the very thing I hated about my father, I became at the age of 24. I was drinking like he was drinking, and. Uh, wife said you're acting just like your your father everything I hated 
in him I became. And you know, in our encounter retreats, we talk about generational curses. Well, now I understand what that is. Because the very thing I hated in my father, that thing is coming on me. I believe the same demon that was in him came in me. And um, the only way I broke free of the alcohol was that I began to get in drugs. I didn't need the alcohol anymore. I started smoking weed, uh, smoking uh, hash oil out of a pipe, and uh, bringing it to my wife. That's how ignorant uh, that I was. Uh, I remember the first time we we did the hash oil out of a pipe. Sister Dawn lost her hearing for about an hour. Uh, I couldn't move for about an hour, but. Uh, I realized that uh, wh when is this going to end, right? What's going to be next that we're going to be doing? And, uh, and by the age of 27, uh, the guilt and the remorse from the life that I was living uh, started building up. I realized, I said, if there's a God, then I knew it wasn't in Catholicism because I, I've seen the, the pedophile priests and uh, uh, one priest was uh, having a relationship, one of my friend's mother, and said, it, 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 this can't be God over here. This can't be God. I said, if there is a God, then I got to try to find and uh, I started into Eastern religions and, and stuff like that, and the meditation and the, the craziness that goes along with that stuff. It just didn't do what I was looking for. I was looking for something to relieve me of my guilt and my shame. Uh, then in 1972, uh, there's a lot of detail that goes with this that I don't have time to tell you, but I went to a, a church, Lakeview Christian Center, which was Lakeview Church at the time. It's, it's not the same kind of church that was there when I got saved. The church that I got saved in, it was very spirit-filled, like this one right here, just like this one. You walked in, you knew something was going down. Well, I walked in, Maybe you need to put that next picture up. That's the pair of jeans I was wearing when I got saved. That's what I looked like. And the baby on the floor there is our, my daughter, who is our CPA now for this ministry. But she was six months old when I got saved. But that's what I looked like when I walked into Lakeview Christian Center. I drove up there in a 72 Volkswagen van with five joints of marijuana rolled on the dashboard of the car. And, uh, of course, I threw them out the window when I left. Because, you see, I walked in like that, but I walked out of them. Got water baptized. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
speaking in tongues, prophesying, interpreting tongues, God miraculously saved me. When I got off my knees, it wasn't the same person that knelt down. I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand what Christianity was about. didn't understand anything. All I knew is that something supernatural touched me. I could I didn't explain. I didn't even know what kind of church it was. But I knew this, that what I was looking for, I found. That when the cross was preached and the blood was shed, that it was for me. And I took it. And God met me. And I've never been the same since. Uh, I was radical. I went from from dark to light. It, it was... So he gets saved. <clears throat> How long after that was it you were called into the ministry? Oh, probably about six years. So you were still... You were a businessman. Yeah, I was a businessman, uh, and uh, I had a beauty shop, and I had four kids at home, car note, house note, barely making it. But after I got saved and I understood what tithing was, and I began giving, and that's a whole other story about, about the tithing episode with my wife, but but I was the man in the house. I was Italian. I, you know, I'm the guy that runs this place. And, and I'm going to give my $25 at that time. We're talking 40, 50 years ago. Uh, and when I did that and gave my heart and life to Christ, God began to open the windows of heaven and started blessing me. And uh, two years later, I was in a beauty school business making more money I ever dreamed about making and doing other things. So I realized that <clears throat> God's blessing now, if I would follow him, my life would be different. Because where I was at 27 years old, I realized I was smart and not the smartest man in the world, but I knew that my life was a result of the decisions that I was making. That if I changed, and start doing things right that my life would change. And, and it did. It did. Uh, but two years, you want me to go on with this? I think I have the next question that you want. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, about two years after I was saved, uh, I was in the beauty school business. I developed throat cancer. And I had a growth in my throat that wouldn't heal. And I went to the doctor, and they did a biopsy on it. He took a piece of it out, and I didn't know he was doing that. I wanted to kill him after he did that. I didn't know he was going to do that. He went in there and chipped a piece out of my throat. He says, i got to send this to the lab. And, well, they got the result back, and he called me Friday. I was at my school, and the doctor said, we got the report back. You have cancer, and uh, it's got to get cut out. Okay, I hung the phone up, and I heard a voice. The voice said, 
cancer is not just in your throat, it's all over your body, you're going to die like your daddy died. Because they cut my daddy open, he was full of cancer. So you're going to die like your daddy died. All right? But I heard another voice that said, you remember what I did for you? You have eternal life. You won't die, even if you do die. So, as a new, as a new, you, how, you said you said about two years when this happened. Yeah. As a two-year-old Christian, how did you, how did you handle getting a diagnosis of cancer? Well, when the Lord brought me back to my salvation. When I first got saved, I had heaven on my mind. Still have it. I'm going to heaven. And I hope you all go too. But that's my goal. I'm <laughs> and uh, I knew if I died, that, that this wasn't going to be the end. I had that. I, w I was filled with the Holy Spirit that I knew even if I died, I wasn't dead. So I just had to deal with it. But anyway checked into the hospital east jefferson they're gonna they scheduled the operation on tuesday i was in the hospital saturday was still running tests and i asked the i asked the the the, the nurses if i could leave sunday morning because i wanted to go to church i checked out with the thing on my arm i wanted to go to church i wanted the elders to pray for me well even before that that Saturday before I went to the hospital, the elders were at my church. That I mean, at my house. They had no idea with all. That's the kind of church I was in. It's the kind of church we are. We're going to be there for you. <clears throat> and uh, so Sunday, I uh, checked out of the hospital, went to church, had the elders pray for me, just like the Word of God says. You, you have need, let the elders pray for you. So I did that, went back. Uh, Sunday to the hospital. Monday morning, uh, I woke up uh, in my room. I had my Bible, and I was sitting up in my bed, and I was reading, and I just happened to be reading uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. But this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The words came off the page. It was God speaking to me. I said, even in cancer, I got to give thanks? Yes, you do. The hospital room filled up with the presence of God. It was thick. Thick sitting up there and my wife walks in and she looks at me she says you look like you're glowing I said I am I said God's in this place right here he's here now she said well open up your mouth maybe he's healing you so I opened up my throat and she looked in and she said it's still there I said I don't care if he's here, I don't care. 
I said, they could cut my head off tomorrow in that operating room. I don't care because the peace of God came on me. I said, God is with me. And, and I want to tell you something. God is with all of us if you're a believer. I don't care what you're going through. He don't leave us. He don't forsake us. He don't throw us in a gutter. He don't do any. He is with us. <clears throat> so Tuesday morning, I get operated on. Wednesday morning, a doctor walks in, wants to know how I'm doing. I was up eating ice cream. I said, I'm doing fine, doc. I said, what did they find? Because they was going to take it out, send it to the lab, and check it and see if I was going to need further treatments, okay? Well, he didn't answer me. He just, I said, what did they find? He, he said, they didn't find anything. They're still looking. I said, doctor, I said, they can keep looking. They're not going to find anything. I said, God was in this room <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you know, with doc, yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, yeah, I'm glad you got yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you, I don't know if you noticed this, and if you didn't, I want to highlight it for you. Did you notice how when I asked him how did he deal with it, he didn't mention anything about how he was feeling. And I don't know if it's a generational difference. I don't know what it is, but I think people today care an awful too much about how they feel. And what we don't realize is when I come into agreement with how I'm feeling, I'm empowering it. But he didn't come into agreement with that second voice that came and said, you're going to have cancer just like your daddy. And he didn't come into he didn't, he, It came, but he came into agreement with something else. And I, I think, I don't know why I had to stop here for a minute. There's, there's people in here that you're coming into agreement with the wrong voice. Because, but I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling this. I guarantee you they felt some kind of way about a cancer diagnosis. Not just him, but the family. But he didn't come into agreement with it. He didn't empower it. Be very careful how much you empower or discuss or lean into what you feel. Our society is so big on what are you feeling? What, 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 how do you feel about that? I, no, no. What I feel is always dictated by myself and my flesh, but I'm, I'm living under a different uh, set of rules. I'm living of a different kingdom, and I can't come into agreement with it. And so to me, when I, that's why I asked the question, how would you react to that? And he went, well, I just went back to the cross. Because everything, all of our responses, how we process through everything has to go back to that moment where he pulled us out of the pit. Because it should change our perspective. So he comes out, of, you come out of getting healed by cancer. Put up the, the picture of him as the businessman, this fine looking. That's a Pierre Cordain suit right there. <laughs> So tell me about the call to ministry. I was a ministry. successful businessman, and I was vice president of two of the largest beauty colleges here in New Orleans. We had the thing going on. Uh, I was driving a Lincoln Continental a block long. Uh, I, was, I was happy. I was saved. I was in the church, on the board, 
doing everything God would have me to do in the church, plus I was making a lot of money. What more do you want? Well, my pastor asked me to go with him to a church growth convention in Kansas City, Missouri in 1978. Uh, I didn't know why he wanted me to go. Now, I don't know why. I was there with just church leaders. You know, here I am, a businessman with my pastor. One of the nights of the service, I think Marvin Gorman was preaching. And... Uh, and after he finished preaching, he gave an altar call for the pastors to come forward to get ministered to. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm a businessman. I'm in the back watching all this going on. And the Lord began to speak to me and said, you have joy in what you're doing. He says, I gave you all that. I knew that. He gave me. He made me successful. He says, uh, you have joy in that. He said, but you won't have joy until you do what those men are doing up there. How in the world is this going to happen? I was speechless. I couldn't even tell my pastor what happened. I said, I got to go home in the morning. I got to fly out of here. It was the longest plane ride I think I ever took. I called Sister Dawn, told her I was coming home. Got off the plane. She says, well, how was everything? Can't talk. For three days I cried because I didn't know what in the world was going on with me. I, I, I've got businesses. I got, how's all this going to happen? And uh, for three days, she tried to get me to explain what happened. Well, Saturday, I think I came home from the shop because I did hair on Saturday. I had a shop in school. I'm in a swimming pool. We got a two-story house, four bedroom, swimming pool. So I had to get in the swimming pool. She got in there. She says, are you going to tell me what went on? God's called me in the ministry. I don't know what to do. She says, I knew God was going to do that when he healed your throat. I said, well, I didn't know about that. <laughs> I didn't know that was part of that. But anyway, uh, uh, in 1979, I, I took ministerial courses. Uh, in the assemblies until I finished. They, uh, they licensed me. And then my pastor asked me to come on an associate pastor at Lakeview Christian Center. I was the first associate pastor they ever had. I had to give up my businesses, which I had to go into a lawsuit with my partner. She didn't want to pay me for my part of the business. I had to wind up suing her. Took three years. We were broke. I went on at the church. Uh, they hired me. Here I was making $50,000 a year back 42 years ago. That was a lot of money. And uh, I took the job at the church for making 18000 Still had kids at home. And uh, I still worked in a shop on Saturday. I had my clientele. I worked for a friend of mine. 
just to try to make ends meet. But uh, I was happy because I was doing what God wanted me to do. I forgot about what I wanted to do, and, and I was concentrated on doing what God wanted me to do. And uh, I, was, I spent a year at Lakeview Christian Center as associate pastor, and God sent me out to Pioneer Church in River Ridge on Jefferson Highway. Uh, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to stay at Lakeview and see the church work. But God sent me out there. I started in a school cafeteria, uh, and God blessed us. We bought property. Five years later, we brought, we built a brand-new building on on. Uh, this is what we bought. We bought an old house. It was on Justin Highway. That was my group. That was uh, myself, my associate pastor, Brother Bob Chopin, some of my family there. My daughter Carla was pregnant on the left there for her first child. Uh, but that's what we knocked all the walls out of that house there. We started church. God began blessing us. Uh, I knew I was in the right place at the right time. I spent nine years there and uh, built a new building. And uh, one day, my sister-in-law was the secretary at the Tabernacle in Chalmette. She calls me up one day and, and says, uh, Pastor, I want you to come and preach here at the Tabernacle in Chalmette. I said, okay, I'll do it. We set a date. I hung up the phone I heard that voice again saying you're going to pastor the church in Chalmette Assembly of God Tabernacle hung the phone up Sister Dawn was getting dressed I went in the room I said I'm telling you this so when it happens you're going to know what I'm telling you. I said, the Lord said I'm a pastor of the church in Chalmette. She said, what in the world did my sister tell you <laughs> to make you think that? I said, she didn't tell me anything. It's when I hung the phone up. I heard that. I said, so when it comes to pass, you're going to know it's God. Okay. So all this time now, God is putting this burden on me to take the church in Chalmette. Well, six weeks later, I go there and preach. God moved. It was a great service. The pastor takes us out to Piccadilly there on Tyrus Road, and we're sitting there eating, and when we finish, it's just normal talk. He thanked me for being there. And uh, when we finish eating, we're getting ready to get up, to leave, he turns to me. He says, Brother Carl, are, would you be interested in taking this church if I left? I said, Brother, God has already spoken to me about taking it. He said, Well, I'll get in touch with you. Well, I never heard from him, ever. Never. Never heard from him. Nine months later, I hear that he left. He, he left the church. My brother-in-law, who's on the board, calls me up. 
and says, uh, Carl, he says, uh, Brother Walker left. Would you be interested in taking his church? I said, Brother, let me tell you this story. Nine months ago, God spoke to me about taking his church. He says, all right. So they interviewed me. They interviewed me, and they were looking for some highfalutin pastor, somebody with a big name. I didn't have a big name. I just built the church in River Ridge. I told them the only reason why I'm here is that God told me to be here, that I'm going to pastor this church. I said, I don't need a church. I have a church across town. I don't need a job. I got a job. I don't need that. The only reason why I'm here is God told me I'm going to pastor this church. Well, that went in one ear and out the other with these board members. So since they were interviewing me and, and God was taking my heart away from the church I built because my time was up. So I said, I got to resign my church because I got to go to Chalmette. So they're still debating whether they're going to take me. I said, I heard from God. Okay? This don't just happen like this. It's got to be God. So I resigned my church. I got up and resigned. I said, I'm, God's got another job for me to do. I had people there that got saved under me. I had my family in there. I didn't want to do that but I want to follow God. So I resigned, and come to find out, they didn't want me. So now I'm without a church, without a job. I went to my brother, who had a vending company, I went to work for him. For a year and a half, I moved to Slidell. I drove past that Chalmette exit. See, the burden to go there was God didn't take the burden away. Uh, he didn't take the burden away. And every time I passed that Chalmette exit, I'd grab the, the wheel of that truck, and, and I'd say, God, why am I not turning here? Why am I not turning here? Well, I went on for about a year and a half. The church I was in in Slidell, the pastor wanted me to stay there with him. I had John Jay, the, the hairdresser, called me up one day. He wanted to give me a, a part in one of his buildings in Slidell to start a church. Had all kind of things coming up. I said, I can't get this burden off of me to go to Chalmette. Well, believe it or not, a year and a half later, the church called me again. The pastor they had there was leaving. It didn't work out. Whatever, I don't know what. His name was Donald Duck. That was his name, Donald Duck. Maybe that's why it didn't work out. I don't know. The story goes is br Brother Duck said he had the name first. Huh? Yeah, the name that's first. what he said. He had the name first. <laughs> but anyway, they called me again. The church is interviewing me again. Got different board members this time. I go in there and I tell them, I'm going to tell you the same story I told you two years ago. I don't need a job. I have a job. I'm here because God told me I'm a pastor's church. Well, they, you know, I don't know how they took it. I said, but one thing for sure, it's going to be over with. Because I, I got other things I can be doing. I'm going to go start a church somewhere else. 
said, you either take me or you don't take me. That's up to you guys. Well, they interview a friend of mine, Brother Anthony Marquise, who came out of that church. He came out of that church. His mother was a big donor there. She wanted him to pastor. They interviewed him. Well, they talked about it, and they put Brother Anthony up first to be voted on. Back then, we got out of that voting business. We don't do that no more. We let God pick who he wants. Uh, so they put Brother Anthony up to preach and be voted on. Well, Brother Anthony, being the man of God he is, he put a police before the Lord and said, if I don't get 80% of the vote, I'm not going to take it because he didn't know whether he should be there. Here, and Anthony told him, I don't know if I'm supposed to take this church. I'm in there telling him God already spoke to me. But that didn't matter. None of that mattered. Well, Brother Anthony gets up there, and they vote on him. He got 76% of the vote. It was enough votes for him to take it. All he needed was 66. He gets up there and says, I can't take it. He says, I put a fleece before the Lord that if I don't get 80%, I'm not coming. And he said, but the next man y'all putting up here is your pastor. That was me. I came the next Sunday. I preached. That night, they were voting on me, and one of the board members turned to me and said, Brother Carl, are you going to take the church if they vote you in? Because they already voted Brother Anthony, and he turned it down. I said, I can't turn it down. I got to take it. This is it for me. I didn't know what they were going to pay me. I didn't know anything. I just knew I had to be there. I was there 15 years till Katrina. Things began to happen. You don't have that one? Oh, gotcha. Um, so you take it in 91. You think I'm a midget. Yeah. Um, now I think you're Fidel Castro. Not <laughs> <laughs> That's his Castro suit he's got on there. <laughs> so you take the church. And I, I mean, I remember a lot of this from growing up in it and being a kid, but we we go from a traditional program, Assemblies Church. How many people we had at that time in the mid-90s? What, 200-ish? Yeah, probably 200, 225. Then um, we switched to cell groups, what they were called at the time, in what, 96? Yeah. About that time? Yeah, I would think so. Um. And then we started. That's when we got into the principle of 12. Right. The 12 structure. And something happened right around. We had the revival with Brother Hedrick in, was that 2000? Do you remember me? Yeah. 99 or 2000. Had a 19 week revival Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night for 19 weeks straight. Um, and then after that, we just started winning people to Jesus. People started getting saved. Families. My favorite memory of that time is we had an encounter. We had an encounter weekend. The following Sunday, we had a baptism, and a man by the name of Harold Markham gets in. Brother Carl baptizes Brother Harold, and Brother Harold then turns around and baptizes. I don't remember how many of his family, his son, his daughter-in-law, his grandkids. He baptized about nine, ten people in a row. The whole family gets baptized. I mean, we at the time was it fifteen to twenty people a week getting saved in life group? Is that what the number was? Yeah. 
We were winning 15, 20 people a week. The uh, church grew. Did you hear that? 15 a people a week. I'd preach. If 10 people didn't come down and get saved, I'd think we had bad service. Well, I didn't preach good. Something, something <laughs> happened. But there were families coming down, and, and the power of God was so strong. It got to the point to where, just to give you an idea, right, how strong the anointing was for salvation at that time, he preaches a message on tithing. <laughs> and Brett Tessitore gets saved. <laughs> who's now an evangelist in Texas doing amazing things for the kingdom. And he preached a message on tithing. Now, if you were going to pick a sermon for somebody to get saved to, it probably wouldn't be tithing. <laughs> Especially Brett Tessitore getting saved in a money message. But the anointing was just so thick and so strong, and it was a freight train just moving down the highway. And then he had to go to Disney World and just screw the whole thing up. That's what happened. That's what it was. No. What happened? Oh, for that? Yeah. When, when well, you God, God, I'm a visionary, and, and it looked like I couldn't see what our next move was with the church. So I, I brought in my men. I had 12 men on my team. I said, listen. I said, I'm the captain of this ship. I said, but I, I don't know where to set the sails. I said, because for two years, the church grew so fast. We was doing so many things. We didn't even take a vacation. I did not want to leave the church. I didn't want to leave. Let me tell you something. Sunday morning was, was unbelievable. It was just unbelievable. But anyway, I didn't want to leave. But I said, I got to get out of here. I said, because I don't know what I got to do next here. I said, I'm going to take three weeks off. I said, I've never done that in my life. I said, I got to get out of here. Y'all take it. So we did. I had a place in, in Mississippi that we inherited. My wife and I stayed up there two weeks. Then my daughter Mia called, said they were going to Disney World. Would we go with them, with the kids? I said, okay, we'll go. Hurricane Katrina was in the Gulf. It was supposed to hit Pensacola. I said, why don't we leave early? Let's go to, to, to Florida. Let the hurricane come through. And I said, we'll drive back. Well, we get into the condo, turn on the television, and the thing's hidden for St. Bernard Parish, Category 5. We were glued to the television. And after it passed, we realized we can't even go home. Hurricane's gone. Everything's gone. Every Our life is gone. But out of that came the Covington Church. We took a remnant of our people. We had 600 people in the church. They scattered all throughout the South. Whole communities destroyed. We came back, and we, found, we put probably 60 people together. I started meeting in Church of the King on North Shore, and we, we, we did the church in Covington. And while we were rebuilding the church in Chalmette. But uh, nine years in Covington, God started showing me I had to test the waters back here in Metairie. It's like I made a total turnaround. I did a Bible study in my brother's house and uh, we started getting people saved and my wife and I had a dream. This is supernatural. 
we both had the same dream the same night. How does that work? I get up until I had a dream. I told her the dream somebody handed me a baby boy. A baby. I was holding it. It was mine. Everything was mine. She said, I had the dream too. I had the baby. Okay? That's, that's supernatural. Things like that don't happen. So I talked to my leaders, my elders. They said, it sounds like another church. God is handing you another church. I talked to my presbyters that's over this ministry. They said, it's another church. Well, you're that church. You're that church. Supernatural. You wanted to ask me a question on the time when God called me to go to Chalmette, and it didn't happen. I knew I heard the voice of the Lord. For a year and a half, after hearing the voice of God and it didn't happen, how did I feel? Well, I felt frustrated, number one, because I thought it was the ignorance of the board over there. Could have been, I don't know, but uh, God was doing something with me in that time because he had to change something in my heart. Uh, he gave me a love for people in Charlemagne that I didn't even know, didn't even know that. And uh, I told the Lord, if you put me there, I don't care what them people do to me. I'm going to love them anyway. But anyway, um, the way I felt was that, God, why isn't it happening? I know that I heard from you. Why isn't it happening? Well, it did happen. It, it, uh, it was frustrating, but I knew the burden was still there to to. to to go to Chalmette. And the question he wanted to ask me is, how do you know you're really hearing from God? Well, when you hear something from God, it don't leave. It don't leave. You say, well, it's not happening. I don't care. If it's still on you, it's still something is happening. And uh, you're not going to be able to shake it. I couldn't shake it. I don't care what People were offering me all kind of things. Churches wanted me to come. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't shake it. And uh, and I look back now, it's all God. Even now, it's all God. What God's doing with me now, it's all God. Uh, but I want to tell you this to some of our new, new converts here. <clears throat> I don't know what God has for your life. God knows. This is my life, my wife's life. But God has a plan for your life. Okay, it's not going to be like anybody else's. It's going to be yours. Okay, and I'm going to tell you this. The best it's going to be, whatever it is, you're going to have to give yourself 100% to the Lord. When you do that, that's going to be the best it's going to be for you in this life. That's it. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Just follow God. Give yourself 100% to God. And that's going to be the best you're going to get out of this life. If you deviate from that, I can't guarantee you anything. But if you follow the Lord, commit yourself to Christ, 
It's going to be the best life 